So we are continuing this morning in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And we come to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. So I ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Hear now the eternal living word of God. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. There's an interesting thing that happens in the life of a toddler. You may have come across it in your own life. 
the moment they learn, they can tell you no. In the baby stage, they take for granted that what you tell them they have to do, and they often do it. Then one day, every little angel eventually comes to the realization that they can simply say no. They can just not do what you've told them to do. And once a child figures this out, they think it's the greatest thing in the world. They, they, they start running away instead of being obedient. They love being disobedient. They, they think it's hilarious. They often laugh as they do it. It's so bad that sometimes the easiest way to get a small child to do what you want is to command them to do the opposite. And this truly is an example of the sinful nature of humanity. We, by nature, desire disobedience against God, against authority. We desire our own way. We reject God's way on almost everything. The Westminster Shorter Catechism states that sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Sin is disobeying God. And it's our nature to desire this, to desire sin. Everyone is born with our whole nature being corrupt. You were born with a sinful nature, desiring sin, desiring disobedience to God. This is the kingdom of self that you were born into. And this is the kingdom of self that Jesus Christ came to save you from, to free you from. The kingdom of self is selfishly seeking sin, seeking your own glory, rejecting God, his law, and his glory. In our passage this week, the Pharisees and the scribes once again come to oppose Jesus. And this time, it centers around the nature of sin, the nature of salvation. Can salvation be earned by doing things and not doing certain things? And Jesus teaches about the sinful state of the heart of humanity, the sinful state of your heart. But although your heart is sinful, Jesus came to give you a new heart. He came to make you pure of heart, that you may be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because salvation is completely by the grace of God and only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so our passage this morning begins in verse 1 with the Pharisees gathering around Jesus and, and, and some of the scribes coming down once again from Jerusalem. The last time the scribes came from Jerusalem, this was back in Mark chapter 3, this was when they attributed the miracles of Jesus to Satan. And he warned them about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They're not coming down to hear what Jesus has to say. They're coming down to try and catch him doing something wrong. They're there to try and trap him. So in verse 2, we see they found an opportunity. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now Mark gives some context around this issue in verses 3 and 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. It's important to note in this context that 
All of this washing that they are doing is not commanded by God in Scripture. It's holding to the tradition of the elders. And it wasn't a simple process. They were washing things all the time. Now, we wash our hands before meals for hygiene reasons, but that's not what they were doing. Germs and bacteria weren't discovered until the end of the 17th century. They were washing their hands as a means to ritual purity. And this included when they returned from the marketplace, it included washing all of the vessels. And I've mentioned before regarding the Sabbath, the ridiculous nature of the tradition of the elders that the Pharisees followed. These were all of these additional rules that were added to aid initially in not violating God's law. But in this case, they made you wash everything, your hands, the cups, the kettle pots, in order to maintain ritual purity, in order to not be made unclean. And all of this comes from a misunderstanding of the nature of God and the nature of sin. And it led them to a misunderstanding on the nature of salvation. The Pharisees saw God as this distant creator who restricted people's lives through his law. This made their lives and the lives of the Jewish people in their time so complicated. There's a document that came out a few centuries later called the Mishnah. And it contained all these Jewish traditions of the elders. It contained 35 pages just on how to wash all of the vessels and the daily instruments that they used. 25% of the whole book contained rules for ritual cleanliness and purity. The Pharisees thought the way to salvation was to fence themselves off to keep themselves clean from any contamination on the outside. They thought holiness came from protecting them from some outside threat. The Pharisees and the scribes thought that following these rules made them holier than others. It made them closer to God. But God is concerned about the heart. Religious ritual and engagement should be an expression of a heart that is close to God. The Pharisees and the scribes couldn't have been any further from God in their hearts. And Jesus, however, taught about a God as a loving father of those who trust in him. God is a father who wants his children to be in close fellowship with him. And his law... He gave as his wisdom to do this. God gave his law not to restrict us, but to teach us how to live in fellowship with him, to teach us how to love him and to love others. And so Jesus and his disciples lived with an extraordinary freedom compared to the scribes and the Pharisees and and the rest of the Jewish people in their day. They lived according to God's law, obeying him out of love. They weren't trying to earn their holiness like like the Pharisees, wanting to be noticed and acknowledged as holy before others. And so these two conflicting views of God and his law came to a showdown here. And so the Pharisees asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? This question is pointed. They came to confront Jesus. They're saying, why do your disciples do this. It's an attack. They're saying your disciples are living as sinners. They're implying that this is a problem with Jesus himself. But Jesus never one to mince words when he's dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes, responds with a quotation of scripture. He says to them, 
Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29 here. He's saying that this was a prophecy about the Pharisees and the scribes, and he calls them hypocrites. A hypocrite in the first century was an actor. The hypocrite in that time wore a mask to represent the character they were playing. So the real person of the actor was hidden behind the mask of the character. And so this was the case of the Pharisees and the scribes. They honored God in their words. They said the right prayers. They knew all the right things to do. They followed all their extra man-made laws so they could look holy before all the other people. They wore a mask of holiness, but their hearts were far from God. They taught the commandments of men as doctrines to be followed, and you were a sinner if you didn't follow it. This washing before meals was actually only one example. They did the same thing as the Sabbath, as we learned earlier. They used the tradition of the elders to condemn people for doing normal things like eating. And so Jesus then goes into a full attack on them. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And to prove his point that they place tradition above scripture, he gives an example. He quotes from first Exodus 20 verse 12, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 5, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And these two quotations are flip sides of the same coin. He gives the positive command to honor and respect your parents, joined with the consequences for not honoring them. And then Jesus contrasts these two teachings from the word of God with what the Pharisees are teaching, and he's showing how they're contradicting the word of God. So starting in verse 11, he says, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. The key to understanding what Jesus is saying here is this concept of Corbin. This meant someone would give or set aside their property or wealth for God, and would be a great thing for something to do. But the Pharisees had used this concept as an excuse for someone not to honor their father and mother. They use their tradition to override a commandment of God. And so the idea would be a son of, of elderly parents saying to them, I would love to help take care of you in your old age, but my wealth and my property is Corbin. I've given it to God and I can't give you what is the Lord and therefore neglecting to care for his parents. This is what Jesus meant. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Corbin was a good and noble practice, but it's not something that was commanded by God. It should never be used to cancel a commandment from the Bible. And this is just one example of the kind of things they were doing. Jesus said, and many such things you do. This was how they operated. Their traditions became the focal point, pushing the Holy Scripture to the background, to a secondary place. And so Jesus gives them a scathing rebuke because 
Their questioning of his disciples surrounded this whole issue. They completely lacked the love of God that is expressed in the law. They replaced God's love with the love of self. They replaced God's law with human tradition, and they were insisting that the disciples of Jesus follow their traditions. And and they're insinuating that if they didn't, they were sinning against God. And so Jesus calls all the people in the area to himself to teach them about the nature of sin and holiness. And he does so by making this pronouncement. The struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees comes to a head with the issue of whose teaching on purity is authoritative. Who has the authority to say what makes someone pure and unpure? Jesus or the Pharisees? And so Jesus is claiming authority over them. He gives a definitive statement on the issue of purity. He says in verse 15, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So with this statement, Jesus is challenging the whole system they had of ritual purification. There's 35 pages in in the tradition of the elders. The Pharisees were teaching the people to live, live as if the problem was something from outside of them. They were living as if the path to holiness was restricting what they could touch and eat and drink, avoiding contamination from the outside. And this is a conflict that has repeated itself throughout church history. It's a conflict over the nature of salvation and the nature of God. One side teaches that following traditions and and, and rules and, and even commandments is going to please God. And only following these things would keep you in a covenant relationship with God. But Jesus is teaching something different. That God is a merciful and gracious Father who is willing to forgive sinners. Now this turned the whole world of the Pharisees upside down. This is why they hated him. In their mind, they weren't sinners in need of forgiveness. They were the righteous ones who kept God's commands, who kept even the traditions of the elders, and they had earned favor with God. And another issue that arises from this view of salvation, which is often called legalism, the idea that you can earn salvation on on your own righteousness by keeping rules, by keeping even traditions. The idea that the way to a relationship with God is through keeping a list of do's and don'ts. And so this other issue is that those who teach this say that to teach that salvation is completely by the grace of God through the forgiveness of sins means that People will live however they want. They say that people hear this and will refuse to obey God. They'll live with reckless abandon to the law of God. And this is something the Pharisees taught. But the opposite is actually true. When someone accepts that they are a sinner, completely unable to save themselves, and they know that they are accepted by God only by his grace and his mercy in Jesus Christ, this person will come to devote themselves to God. God will change that person. If someone is under the impression, actually, that they need to earn God's favor, then they will live a lie. They will live a life pretending they are holier than they are. And the core of this misunderstanding is really to misunderstand the sinfulness of humanity. It's not that you sin, therefore you are a sinner. 
Because if that were the case, you could just simply put off your sin. You could avoid being a sinner as the Pharisees were teaching people to do. But you are a sinner. Therefore, you sin. Meaning your sinfulness is this corruption of your whole nature, your whole heart. Biblically, the heart is the whole inner self of a person. The intellect, the will, the emotions, desires. And so for your heart to be sinful means that your whole inner self is sinful. This is what is called the doctrine of total depravity. The biblical concept that sin affects every part of you. You're sinful by nature, and that means everything about you is affected by sin. It doesn't mean you're as sinful as you could possibly be. It just means every part of you is affected by the sin in your nature. And this is what Jesus is teaching here. When he returns from teaching the crowd and he gets back to the house with his disciples, they ask him about what he just taught. And starting in verse 18, he says, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Jesus is clearly undoing what the Pharisees were teaching the people to live by. No food can cause spiritual impurity. Spiritual impurity comes from within. Your sinful heart is impure. Jesus was declaring all foods clean because avoiding certain foods would not produce righteousness. The laws surrounding ritual purity that are actually in the law of Moses were given to point God's people to the need for inward purity. Not to teach people that purity is something obtained by avoiding food and drink and touching things from the outside. Purity is needed from within. And Jesus drives this point home. That the evil that defiles someone comes from within their own heart. He says, for from within... Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so Jesus is telling them, he's telling all of us that the real problem is that the human heart is unclean. Sin is something that comes from inside of you. Your heart is sinful. Your nature is to desire what is sinful, to desire to disobey the law of God. That's why you sin. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 stated this fact. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Pharisees misunderstood the issue. They, they misunderstood the nature of God, the nature of sin, and therefore the nature of salvation. They thought they could close themselves off from the world to make themselves righteous. They thought they could avoid eating certain things, doing certain things, follow these traditions and become holy. But the real issue is in their hearts. There's nothing outside of you that can be avoided to solve the issue of sin because the human heart is what is sinful. The evil of humanity comes from within. And that is the problem that has plagued all of humanity since the fall of Adam and Eve. Every descendant of Adam, born with a human father and mother, inherits 
original sin. That is this corruption of their whole heart, the sinful nature. And the solution then isn't to refrain from certain things in the world. The only solution is a new heart, a new righteousness from outside. The only solution is the salvation offered freely to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of those who believe in him. That your sins against God can be freely forgiven. And Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life on your behalf. That is his righteousness. His perfect, holy, pure record is transferred to you. Jesus was the only man who was pure of heart. And he died for the impure. And so you can't earn your righteousness because God's standard is perfect holiness, perfect purity. But you don't have to. Jesus lived a sinless life in your place and this is the only way that you can be righteous before God. But even in your salvation, God doesn't leave you with an impure heart. God doesn't leave you in the state that you're in. He gives you a new spiritual life. He sends you his Holy Spirit to indwell in you and work in you to bring you to this righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your evil in your heart. And God is working a purity in your heart so it comes from within. He's making you into the image of Christ in your whole inner self. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you more and more each day that you may die to sin and live to righteousness because God sees your heart. And you may be able to fool other people. You may be even able to fool yourself. But God knows your true motives and he will work in you a pure heart more and more each day through his spirit working in you until one day, In the future resurrection, you will be made perfectly righteous. You will be given a fully and perfectly pure heart, and there will be no more sin, no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain. Just the full enjoyment of God for all eternity. And this is the free gift of God's grace offered in Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus came to fulfill. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone that you enter the kingdom of God, that you leave behind the kingdom of self and you are made pure through his spirit. It's nothing you can earn. It's only something you can receive. Salvation is completely the work of God in Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that your sins are transferred to him and he pays them on the cross. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that his righteousness is transferred to you. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that you are given a pure heart. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that you have everything. But without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you as your people that you have called to gather to worship you, to glorify you, knowing that our hearts are impure, that we often seek our own selfish ways, that we often seek to do things for our own glory. But you, Lord, in your love for us, sent your Son to die for us, 
that we may be brought into your kingdom, that you can continue to work in our hearts, purifying us, that we may seek your kingdom. All the good in us is the good of your spirit working in us, that we will continue to do good, putting off evil and putting on our new self, the new self in Jesus Christ you have given us and are working toward that day when we will be with you in glory for the rest of eternity, the day we long for upon the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So I ask you to please stand, if you are able, for our closing hymn, hymn number 482, More About Jesus. Thank you.